Senator Andrew Koenig won an election comfortably in the St. Louis County-based 15th Senatorial District four years ago. But now the Manchester Republican is in the fight of his political life against Democrat Deb Lavender in a district that's been deeply affected by the national political environment. Koenig joins us next on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about the closely watched contest. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. I'm out here in beautiful and majestic Baldwin, Missouri, with our special guest today. State Senator Andrew Koenig. He is the Republican nominee in the hotly contested 15th District Senate race, which takes in Baldwin, of course, also parts of... Uh, well, it goes, what? yeah, it goes, uh, old, uh, old State Road is as far west as it goes, and then it goes east all the way till you get um, Glendale, so it takes in parts of Kirkwood, De Pere, uh, Manchester, Baldwin, Ellisville, Fenton, south until you hit Jefferson County and Highway 55. And you're running against Democrat Deb Lavender. We had her on the show, so people can listen to her and you and get the, the full sense of who these candidates are. When you're on... Our, we were on this show in 2019, it kind of alluded to the fact that I kind of thought that this race was going to be much more competitive than 2016. It obviously has come true. This yeah, is- I, I agree with that. I, I do think it's definitely more competitive than it was four years ago. Um, a lot of that is probably because of the national narrative. What is, what is the national narrative for our listeners that may not understand? Well, I mean, I, probably, uh, what, you know, what's going on with Trump um, and, you know, some of his tweets and, and some of his style is, is, is probably not very favorable to uh, this part of the state. Why should people reelect you? Like, why, why, why should you get another four years in the, in the Missouri Senate? Sure. I've done. Uh, first of all, I've been very effective at getting things done. Um, one thing we you know, one thing I passed was TIF reform. Um, you know, Walmart's moved three times on Manchester Road, each time on taxpayer dime. And uh, it's fine if they want to move, but we should never have to pay for their buildings. Um, I stand up to corporate welfare. I did a 27-hour filibuster against giving GM $500 million. Um, very much opposed to that. Um, I, I sponsored the uh, Senate Bill 509 when I was in the House, cutting Missouri's income tax for the first time in nearly 100 years. Um, most recently, this last year, um, I passed a, t- a CID TDD reform. Um, there was uh, now it, it didn't make it all the way through the process, but I did pass it through the Senate. Um, sales tax is approaching 12% in some areas. That that's just tough on families to be able to when they're buying basic necessities to be able to pay that kind of tax. The reason for that, the Missouri Constitution says you have to have a vote of the people before you implement a tax. What cities are doing is they're drawing districts that have no vote of the or that have no voters in them, and then just raising the tax. And so my bill is really simple. It just requires a vote of the people, so that way we follow the Constitution. Um, another bill that I passed this year uh, was uh, our rape kit, safe kit bill. Um, we had thousands of backlogs um, in in these rape kits. And so uh, what my bill does is sets up a central repository, so that way the evidence can be collected 
um, for 30 years. It's very important that um, some of these heinous crimes get prosecuted. And in order to do that, we need good evidence. It also allows the victim to be able to track that through the system. Um, nothing would be probably more heartbreaking is to have a heinous crime like that happen and then not even know if your kit had been tested. So if you listen to Representative Lavender's show, she said she got into this race because you sponsored a ban on most abortions after eight weeks of pregnancy, which, by the way, for our listeners, we talked about on Senator Koenig's last show for about 20 or 30 minutes. I think that that is going to be the, the, the main attack against you, that she's going to say you are too extreme for this district that is becoming more democratic. What would you say about that? So I, I certainly believe that life begins at conception. Um, all the scientific evidence points to that being the case. Um, now, that being said, I, I think, um, you know, Lavender's positions can be pretty extreme. Um, I have a, a quote from her that she had um, in the budget committee, and it's um, Planned Parenthood would lose state funding while universities and colleagues and public schools would see millions of dollars more under the Missouri budget passed Thursday by the legislature. This going back to 2016. So she wants public money going to fund abortions. And, uh, and that takes money away from our schools. This was a, a budget that increased our education budget, and she thought it was more important to talk about getting money to Planned Parenthood than getting money to our schools. I haven't talked to her about that, but was it, would it be for abortion services or would it be for like other non-abortion services? Well, if it was for not, you know, like, you know, women's health care is very important. Um, I have no problem with getting money to those. But anytime you start uh, support, give money to an organization where they're if you look at what Planned Parenthood is about, they're about performing abortions. Um, we have other health clinics that perform um, all the women's health care. And so if you're one about if you want to talk about women's health, we need to provide we need to offer those dollars to organizations that are complete in providing women's health. Let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, because I think that that's probably on the minds of many voters, both Republicans and Democrats. You're obviously not the governor of this state. And the governor has been responsible for formulating the COVID-19 policy. I'll ask a similar question to what I asked Representative Lavender. Is there anything that you would do noticeably different than Governor Parson? Well, one thing I, I do think that Parson has done, Governor Parson has done that was good is, um, is not have a statewide mask mandate. And the reason why is um, partly because each part of the state is different. Um, we're in St. Louis County, where we have high concentrations of, of people. There's, uh, we have rural counties that have less than 30,000 people. Um, and so I do think, I do support wearing masks. I think they are good, help spread of COVID-19. The best way to get people to wear masks, I think, is education. Um, I think people should be respectful. Um, and when, you know, when they're in closer proximity, people should wear masks. Um, but if you have a mask mandate, I, I do have some concern of how you would enforce that. Are we advocating maybe ticketing people or putting people in jail? Um, right now we have, you know, in the city, uh, city of St. Louis, we have a circuit attorney who is really not prosecuting a lot of crimes. Um, we have more murders in the city of St. Louis. Um, at least this was true a couple weeks ago. I haven't looked updated it see if it's um if it's still true um but we had more murders in the city or homicides in the city of st louis um, than people that died from covid so we have a crime epidemic um and we certainly need to address that um that is one re reason why i did sponsor concurrent jurisdiction to allow our attorney general to enforce our abortion laws 
in one in one one other quote um, that might differ myself from my um, from my opponent is one quote that she did on the House floor during the COVID is she, is she said get them out of the prisons so they can have less opportunity to be infected. So a lot of these um, were basically people with life sentences, um, probably people that were murder murderers um, that were convicted. And she advocated releasing these people because of COVID-19. And that's only going to make the crime ep- epidemic even worse. Are you sure she was specifically saying like people who had committed violent crimes and it wasn't differentiating between the two? Well, I, um, I, again, I haven't heard this quote. And yeah. I, so I, I, um, so the part of the quote that I have is kind of short, but the discussion that was going on, um, she was calling on Governor Parson to grant clemency to women prisoners serving life sentences um, without opportunity for parole. If you're serving a life sentence without the opportunity of parole, it had to have been probably a very bad crime. So I, not to go down that rabbit hole too much, but the, but the COVID in prisons has been a huge issue, both in the state and nationwide. There have been huge outbreaks there infecting people that have committed minor crimes to serious crimes. And I think that the reasoning behind releasing some of them was to avoid that sort of situation. Again, I haven't talked with Representative Lavender about that, so I don't know what context she was saying, but isn't it sort of reasonable to release certain prisoners so they don't get COVID in an enclosed environment? I think I think we know a lot more about COVID-19. There's a safe way to do it. Um, certainly on the on, you know, if you have, um, you know, I, we do have too many laws. Sometimes we are putting people in jail um, that shouldn't belong there. But if you have a life sentence without parole, that is going to be a crime that you belong behind bars. Um, so that way you can uh, you don't um, recommit these crimes. For going back to the mask mandate for a second, and I, I'm going to use the same anecdote I used with Representative Lavender. I've done some traveling around rural Missouri as a uh, mental health exercise. One of the things I've found is going to our beautiful state parks and just our small towns is a great way to de-stress after a day of unsuccessful virtual schooling. And, you know, I was actually in uh, Donovan, Missouri, and also Poplar Bluff, Missouri. I actually saw a few people wearing masks. But, like, before July, when I was in Monroe County and Audrain County, I saw very, very few people wearing masks. And I wonder if, kind of to turn the question on its head from what I asked to Representative Lavender, the lack of a mask mandate has given this implicit idea to people in rural Missouri that, like, we don't have to do this. And now there's a lot of outbreaks in rural Missouri and a lot of people are getting COVID. So isn't like there's some benefit of having a mask mandate and that it would send a message to people all across the state that you should do this and it may be beneficial in that respect? Well, I mean, it's I guess if if what you're asking is we should do just do a mask mandate and not enforce it. Um, I don't think that's being real honest with voters and with um, people that live in the district try to uh, mandate something that you have zero intention of enforcing what I what I would do is just strongly encourage people to be respectful to wear a mask when you're in close proximity now if you're in a state park and you're with your spouse and you're you know a hundred feet from the closest soul uh, you probably don't need to wear I a was mask. not wearing a mask yesterday uh, at Sam A. Baker Park because I was literally the only person there. Just, 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 just for full disclosure, there are places where I have not worn masks in public because I'm the only person by myself. But I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like the lack of a mask mandate may be actually causing the state to 
uh, you know, have, have I big think numbers. Basically. I, I think what we've seen is we've seen the virus spread from one person throughout the whole entire world. Um, I do think wearing mask helps. It's not going to stop the virus. It's still going to spread even even with a mask mandate. Is there anything else about the response that you would change? Obviously, there was a lot of money from the federal government that went through the state. You know, one one thing that I do think is important is is testing, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to people that are vulnerable or just for yourself. Like if you're trying to interact with people, you want to make sure you're not spreading it. And one of the best ways to do that is to make sure you get tested. And I, I feel like the tests should be more readily available than they, than they are. Um, I've been tested twice just to make sure that I didn't have it. And um, it was, I was able to get it done, but it, I wish it would have been easier and more readily available. Um, so that way people can test on a regular basis. Now let's go back to crime for a second, because you mentioned that you sponsored concurrent jurisdiction for abortion clinics, but you were also the sponsor of concurrent jurisdiction for uh, the, the circuit attorney situation, too. Can you explain what that was for our listeners who may sure. not have understood that? Sure. Um, so there's actually two bills I sponsored. Um, one of them was in one bill during regular session, and it, it had concurrent jurisdiction, and it also made hijacking a specific crime. We have a huge uh, problem of hijacking. I've talked to a lot of my constituents that live out here in West County and in Kirkwood, and some of them don't want to go ta- downtown because they're afraid their, their car is going to get hija- uh, hijacked and um or carjacking and so um and it makes it difficult for prosecutors to actually prosecute that crime certainly there's theft and there's um there's laws on the book that would allow them to prosecute but if you have a failed one there's really not it's very difficult to prosecute that and so by making a specific crime of carjacking um, then um, that would make it much easier for prosecutors to be able to prosecute that crime the second piece was a concurrent jurisdiction um, we have a huge homicide problem in the city of St. Louis. Um, this, uh, the company, you know, Centene has said that they might leave the state or set up a second headquarters specifically because of the crime epidemic in the city of St. Louis. And although we're a little bit limited on what we can do with the circuit attorney's office, one thing we can do is allow our attorney general to prosecute murders in this state. And I think we, can, we should be able to all agree that if, if, our attorney general can put people behind bars who committed homicides, then that would be a good thing. So obviously you have heard the criticism of that idea, not only from Democrats, but from the Prosecutors Association. And I think specifically with Circuit Attorney Gardner, regardless of what you think of her, because there are a lot of people that dislike her and her policies, she just basically got reelected 60-40. Some would argue that the Republican criticism of the McCloskey incident are stuff like this actually probably helped her get reelected because St. Louis is like 90% Democratic. What do you make of the argument that you really shouldn't do this because this should be a local issue and it should be up for St. Louis city people to decide like how their circuit attorney operates? Well, certainly, um, you know, we're not really taking that power away. Um, We're just adding homicides to that, um, which is very limited. Um, it's, It's arguably one of the worst crimes that someone commit. And uh, those people need to be put behind bars. And with that deterrent, um, there's a good chance that hom- you know it will help cause the homicide rate to go down. And we need you know all hands on deck approach. Um, actually, the feds have been getting more involved. Um, they've been prosecuting these crimes. I don't think anybody's advocating that you know the, the somehow the feds are taking away local control by prosecuting these crimes. Um, I haven't he- heard anybody say that. Um, so I, I think it's certainly appropriate to at least um, give our attorney general 
the concurrent jurisdiction to prosecute these crimes and we can see how it goes we can we can put a sunset on this see after two years if if it was effective or not um i i think that would be a good approach are you are you also going to expand that to st st louis county or kansas city or other places why just st louis basically i i mean i actually wouldn't have a problem if we're only i don't agree that we should open it up to all crimes um Obviously. I'm just talking about jurisdictions. Not, yeah. Well, let's just keep well, it at murder for a second. Why yeah. shouldn't it be for every county in the state, basically? Why do we need to just target the city, basically? I actually wouldn't have a problem with that. I mean, you kind of alluded to this before. Why is crime an issue in a largely suburban district that doesn't have high crime rates? Sure. I, I think um, what you have, um, one, um, people in my district, they travel downtown. And so they, you know, some some people in my district are afraid Um maybe they shouldn't travel downtown that's bad for our region if people aren't wanting wanting to go to certain parts of the of the state or certain parts of the metropolitan area um so that's one reason also the reason i think why it's come to the forefront is you have one party that has completely abandoned law and order i i thought as americans um that um we would all agree that burning buildings down um, is, is something we, that, that is a bad thing, that we can all agree that that is a bad thing. Um, and what you've seen in Portland um, and in Seattle, um, you've seen Democrat mayors and leaders just completely abandon law and order, refuse to enforce the law, and has, has allowed lawlessness to take over their city. And I think some people in my district are fearful that that might come to St. Louis and it could spread if, if we don't put an end to it. I think on the other side of the coin, some of your colleagues, both white and black, would say, you know, there are a lot of great police officers and those police officers should be empowered and championed. But there are also a lot of bad actors and there needs to be more rigorous accountability measures to be in place if a police officer shoots and kills anybody, particularly somebody of color, uh, unjustly. Like, what would you think of like not only doing things to protect the police, but also provide sort of checks and balances in case they do something wrong. Like, what's your yes, mindset I, on that? Yes, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to support, you know, if there's a police officer that's doing doing something that they shouldn't be, um, then they should be held to the full extent of the law. I don't, there was a case um, where there was a police officer that shot someone and planted the gun on the victim. And that person did get convicted of homicide, and he did go to, I believe he went to jail, um, probably for a long time, and that should happen. Um, now, but what I think a lot of these cases, um, they're a small, there's literally millions and millions of interactions between police and citizens every single day. And this notion that police are targeting black people, I think is completely false. I have two, I've adopted two black children, and I... I have no fear if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're not going to have any problems with the police. Um, and I would tell this to my white children and my black children, respect the police. If you obey their orders, you're not going to have any problems. I think what a lot of people would also say, it's not just a, an issue about police when it comes to the black community in Missouri. It's also about, you know, a, a centuries of discrimination in economics and education and all that sort of thing. Uh, what would you do to kind of break down the systemic racism around those particular ideas? So, I mean, there's, there's certain, we certainly have huge problems in our education system. Um, now, it's not due to money. If you look at St. Louis Public Schools, um, they get, I believe they're either the third or fourth highest funded schools in the state. Um, and so this notion that they're not getting money and that's why they're bad 
Um, I, you know, I reject that notion. Um, sure, every school could use a little bit more money, but um, plus, I think that they need SLPS needs more special education money. Sure, I think that that's yeah. pretty much agreed by everybody. And right. Not to, not to toot my own horn, since I've been very loud on that issue, but I yeah, I, I mean, special education is something that's really important. It's more, it's higher cost to educate um, people with special needs. And um, but what you know, one thing I was, would do is provide another option. If parents in the inner cities don't like their schools, they should have a choice to go to a different school, and the state should pay for it. Um, that if you want equality, um, you know you have even Illinois, a very liberal state. Uh, you have um, in D.C. a very liberal area. You you know these parents have these other options, but in the state of Missouri, we don't. We'll be right back after this short break with State Senator Andrew Koenig. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Senator Andrew Koenig, a Republican who represents the St. Louis County-based 15th District. I want to talk about Medicaid expansion because I think that that's going to be a big issue going forward, not because it's a question of whether Missouri will expand Medicaid. I think it's going to be how, because Missourians voted. It's in the Constitution. Um, And I think that a big question is, like, how is this actually going to be rolled out? Um, is there going to be like a work requirement that's going to be put on? What's going to what's going to be your mindset? You're you're probably going to be somebody who's going to be part of that debate. Sure. Um, it's you know it's it's trying to trying to predict what's going to happen in the legislature is a it's certainly a very dangerous thing to do. <laughs> Sometimes you can be in the middle of debate on a bill and uh, you won't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. Um, so it's hard to predict. Certainly, yeah, I, I would imagine that obviously Medicaid expansion is in the Constitution. It's going to happen. Um, I would, you know, I, I think work requirements is something that makes sense. I would not be surprised if that um, something like that moves forward. Would that have to go to the voters, though, again? Because there's some thought process with the way the Medicaid expansion was written. Like, in order to put a work requirement, you would have to do another statewide vote for that. I'm not totally sure if that's the case or not. Yeah. Um, I would have to go back. I would have to look at it uh, more closely. Um, certainly, if you did put a work requirement, that's not saying that you're not going to expand. Um, I, I don't know if it'd have to go to the voters or not. Uh, there's been a question about like how this gets paid for, and people like your opponent and other Democrats are saying there's, first of all, that there is money available to pay for it, and number two, that the way it's structured, it'll basically pay for itself, and that no other states have had serious financial issues in implementing Medicaid expansion, including Republican ones. Do you share that? I, I assume that I, you think don't think that way but i want no, you to explain I, I, I mean it's i mean other states like arkansas it did cost them money to implement it and uh i would imagine that there are a number of states where it did cost them something um you know in the neighborhood of maybe in missouri probably around 100 million dollars and that money certainly has to go come from somewhere um now our state general revenue budget is approaching 10 billion dollars of course with COVID 19 it could be a, substantially less might be like a 9.7 <laughs> right or something but continue sure um so so yeah i mean that money will have to come from somewhere um and you know during the budget process that you know that we pass a budget bill and those decisions are made you know one area where i certainly may differ are from my opponent is when it comes to you know corporate welfare spending on stadiums that's something I'm very much against. Um, like I said, I did a 27-hour filibuster against giving GM $500 million. Um, we currently are paying uh, millions of dollars for the Rams, and uh, they're not even here. Um, so certainly, hopefully, we, maybe we could cut some of that money out. I don't, I'm not a big fan of paying money for stadiums. Um, I, I actually, believe it or not, covered that 
fiasco very closely. And I think the issue is that the state has to pay the stadium because there's, there's a bonding it is. requirement. Yep. It's going to be gone in about two or three years. I think 2024, maybe. We're, we're getting close. Yeah, I we're can't getting close. Don't so quote me on that. Trust me. And I've said this on Twitter. A great settlement that Stan Kroenke could do is to be pay off the rest of those bonds and pay off the entire convention center project as a as a way from goodwill i mean he spent like five billion dollars on a stadium i think he can handle 300 million dollars but yes i think that's wishful thinking right um what uh, this is kind of the thing i i bring back when people talk about medicaid expansion and it being too expensive uh, i i i i feel like there are ways you could pay for it like you could you know tax vaping products you could legalize marijuana you could do wayfair which is online sales taxes uh, you could tax managed care companies. Like, I understand that you're a Republican and you're not a huge fan of tax increases, but isn't it, aren't, aren't, let's just say it does cost money for some reason, which, you know, Medicaid expansion proponents don't think it will. Wouldn't some of those options be reasonable ways to pay for it that wouldn't actually hurt anybody besides like online shoppers or vapors, basically? Yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to Wayfair, I, I, you know, I'm a supporter of Wayfair. I filed the bill almost for the last several years I have. And one reason why Wayfair is is extremely important is because right now we have an incentive for people to go make purchases outside the state of Missouri. So let's give you a tax break. If you purchase from a non-Missouri business, that's the opposite of what you would want. You would never design a system that would do that. Um, I believe 47 states have implemented it. Now, the reason why um, they've been able to implement much quicker than Missouri is because their departments of revenue has been able to just implement it without passing a law. We're here in Missouri. We have to actually pass a law. And so because of that, and a lot of states have had passed laws prior to the ruling, um, of what of the Supreme Court ruling so they were already set ready to go where here in Missouri we had not um, so I certainly support I do think if you want to pass Wayfair um, through the legislature um, you probably need to pass something close to a revenue neutral bill um, when you're dealing with the tax code there's kind of two discussions how much should be taxed and then how you should tax it and if you start intermingling those it makes it much more difficult to be able to pass a bill so I've been an advocate of passing a revenue neutral bill um, from the beginning. So let's talk about the campaign a little bit. Um, this has become a very expensive campaign. How much have you raised so far? Like five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, or something like that. I don't. I, I don't know the specific number. I raised over a hundred thousand in the month of September. Okay, and. Your opponent has raised, I think, more money than you, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, going back to my races. Uh, you know, when I ran against um, Shamed in, in my first house race. I Shamed was... Dogan, state representative. We talked about this before. They ran against each other in 2008. So, I mean, in that race, I was outspent four to one. Um, but what we did is we implemented a very strong ground game. We knocked on every door three times. Um, then, when I, once again, when I ran against Rick Stream, um, I was uh, starting from a position that was clearly not a very good position. I was pulling at 9% when I started that race. <laughs> and he was pulling almost to 50% in the mid to upper 40s. And so this, and you know, almost every race, tough race I've been in, um, I have been outgunned um, from a money standpoint. But one thing I won't be outgunned on is my ground game and my ability to work. And when you're talking to voters one-on-one, -on -one, um, you can throw any kind of number of negative ads against that and it just won't stick because I've personally talked to people. So I said this on the other show. I think this is a really compelling race for a lot of reasons. First of all, both of you, you're, I, you are 100% right. You have a sterling reputation of being a very hard worker. I've, 
not to reveal private conversation, but I was just talking with former Senator uh, John Loudon about something else. And he was talking about how you were like a machine, basically. <laughs> he also says hello, by the way. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Democrats would say, well, Representative Lavender ran a bunch of times unsuccessfully for her current House seat, finally won. And now it's at a point where it's so blue, she didn't even have an opponent. She's a hard worker, too. And also, I think the other thing that people find compelling is you have two candidates who seem like true believers for their cause. Like she's a true believer for Democratic causes and you're a true believer for Republican causes, maybe even to your detriment. How does this how, how do you win this race? Like, how do you come out on top, basically? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I'm talking, we've knocked on thousands of doors and we do it safely. We, we wear a mask. Um, we step back. And I would say most people are very receptive that we're there talking to them. Um, that is something that my opponent is not doing. We've knocked on uh, probably something north of 60,000 doors. Um, when you say she's not doing it, you're saying she's not door knocking. That's correct. That's what you're saying. Okay, correct. Continue. Yes. Um, yeah, most of, I, from my understanding, is mostly what she's doing is staying at street corners. Um, and to me, that's not really making that connection with voters. Um, so she might be working hard, but um, I would say let her keep working that way. I don't think it's probably the smartest way to work. Um, we will have uh, many times. We'll have a lot more sign locations than she does. Um, you probably saw some of those driving I in. I did. <laughs> here's the thing, and this is going to be what I, well, one of the reasons it's also compelling. I've heard anecdotes from people on Twitter, and granted, Twitter is not always the most accurate source of information. They, that people have never seen so many Democratic signs in Western St. Louis County before, and that's because. There is a real backlash against President Trump in places like Western and Central St. Louis County. And you could run an immaculate campaign. You could hit on every point that everyone is telling you to do. And if Joe Biden gets 65 percent of the vote in St. Louis County, you lose almost automatically. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, certainly, uh, you know, there's I would be shocked if he won 65 percent in my district. Um, Certainly. I mean, mean all St. Louis County. County, Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's no question um, that um, people in St. Louis County don't like the way Trump talks. And that, you know, that means we do have to fight against that. Um, it's not, you know, I don't support um, some of the stuff that Trump says. Now, s- some of his policies, I think, are very good as far as the tax cuts go. Um, and also his judges. I think his judges have been um, phenomenal. Um, and so, but we're working hard. We're talking to people. You know, the two issues um, that I would say most um, constituents are talking about is that's law and order and we're on the right side of that issue I'm I'm the only one endorsed by um, the fraternal order of police and then the other issue is taxes um, people do not want to be overtaxed the problem with Missouri is we tax you everywhere you know each tax might not be a real high tax but it's the totality of all the taxes you have sales tax approaching 12 percent um, people are upset about property taxes And so um, I'm on the right side of that issue. And I think we talked about this very briefly on the last show. But I think another reason why people are going to be paying attention to your race is the second congressional district race, which is between Ann Wagner and Jill Shoup. Jillions of dollars being spent there. But I think that, like, I think Jill Shoup wants Deb Lavender to do well, so she does well. And I think Ann Wagner is depending on you to do well. So she does well because she's going to be a lot more connected, for better or for worse, to Trump than you are because she's running for federal office. I know you're running your own race and you're going to say, like, okay, the second congressional district race doesn't matter. But, like, how does this race factor into that one, which is going to which is getting a lot of attention, and a lot of national money, basically? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it I think it does matter. Absolutely. 
Um, I mean, we're running our own race, um, and we have our own issues that we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of money spent on that race and uh, it, will, it will have an impact. Well, thank you very much for joining with me today. As I said before, if you want to listen to State Representative Deb Lavender's Politically Speaking episode, it is on STL Public Radio or wherever you find your podcasts. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you either on Twitter or your campaign website? Or Yeah, it's, uh, it's electandrewkanig.com on Twitter, Koenig4mo, and uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.